Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. And that is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far out of have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Episode 9 of The Roundtable. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and Mark Craig. And hey, how are you guys doing? Andy, I'll start with you. What's going on in Andy World? Uh, thinking about getting into fantasy sports. It seems like a really interesting <laughs> world. I want to play fantasy sports and I want to play fantasy big. I want to put it all on the line. I like your style, Mark. Are you are you on board? How are you doing today? Yeah, no, I will continue to play fantasy sports for not a giant buy-in because I am not a high roller in Las Vegas. I want nothing to do with that but uh, everything's fine i don't know how it works in your guys's home offices but when the news broke that tommy fam slapped jock peterson over a fantasy football dispute i pushed a button and i leaned in and i said dale hold my calls and i don't have a dale i don't have a button i don't have any calls to hold i don't even know what that means but I felt like we needed to devote an entire, not an entire podcast to this, but we needed to chat about the ethics, the unwritten rules, the written rules of uh, slapping another gentleman over a fantasy football beef. Where to start? To be clear, I think, is the Dale you're talking about Dale Swain? Because he is allegedly a fantasy football maven of some repute uh, back in the Royals days. Really? See, that's, there needs to be, I, I know that you had the really good uh, article about Farhan Zaidi and his, <laughs> how his uh, fantasy football prowess translated to, to his real world job. But I do think we need a, like a roundup of all the super duper nerds, the like waiver claim geeks in baseball. Well, I will say this, is if you go back and read that story from uh, the spring of 2018 about how Farhan Zaidi, uh, then the GM of the Dodgers and uh, now the president of the uh, Giants, if you read that story about how he had won the Dodgers Fantasy Football League three years in a row, uh, you will find many Dodgers, including Jock Peterson, complaining about Farhan doing the sort of roster manipulation that would later lead to uh, Jock Peterson's uh, kerfluffle with Tommy <laughs> Pham. That whole, you know, getting guys, stashing guys on IR and getting new players, all that sort of stuff. Like, Jock didn't learn that in a vacuum. 
Would you say that uh, Farhan has open palms slapped Jock or no, vice versa? No, Have I, you reported that? I, I would suspect Farhan. If on the one percent chance Farhan hears this, he would be furious to be uh, accused of this <laughs> uh, because you know obviously violence is not the answer. However, I mean, Mark, like, wh- what a ridiculous story. Well, you know, I know Andy doesn't do the things the hoi polloi would do, so I'm not, you're probably not in any fantasy football right now. But like, what what I'm fascinated by is that this is just your latest reminder that ball players they're just like you. Because every league that you're in, there's a Jock Peterson pulling that bullshit. Every league that you're in, there's a Tommy Pham overreacting <laughs> to said bullshit. Right? Like, that's how this works. Like, and, you know, I covered the Mets at a time where David Wright was there. And David Wright, gigantic fantasy football dork. Right? David Wright, Dave Rockinello, the bullpen coach, like a bunch of the guys on the team. I have a tweet from like 2015, and it's Juan Uribe walking through the clubhouse. Every time he looks at the TVs in the clubhouse, football's on. And he was exasperated because they're not talking about putting the games on the team plane. And he's just like, football? Fuck football. Baseball, that's what I want to watch. Unfucking believable this football. Like he's just going off about how he's surrounded by these morons playing fantasy football, of which he has zero interest in. None, right? So... I think anyone that's covered baseball has walked into a clubhouse that sees this story blow up. Nobody's shocked because it's all over the place. Fantasy football is all over the place in clubhouses. It always has been. I guess it's just gotten bigger. But the big takeaway is, you know what? That person that you're in the league right now, like, you know, you're listening to this and you're a fantasy league. You know exactly. You have that person in your mind's eye right now. That person always looking to scam you. Sending stupid trades. Playing with the waiver wire. Mark, as, a, as a, someone who, you know, plays fantasy football, is what Jock did outside the boundaries of acceptable behavior? I was surprised a little bit. Like, I think a lot of times you're not even allowed to do that, right? The way I understand it, like, what's been described is that you're not even allowed to, like, stash a guy who's out on the IR. I guess that was the dispute. And, like, you know, to be fair, I haven't played, like, at that level in a while, okay? Like, I remember being in some leagues where, like, I probably put too much money into it like back in the day. Not so much anymore. But like, I don't know. I, I feel like most leagues are pretty clear on that sort of thing. Well, so he said it was in the rules and that fam was doing the same thing. So I don't understand what the, like what the, like what he did wrong per se. Like, you know, it's exploit within the confines of the rules. It's the same thing, you know, teams do at arbitration, right? Well, we're also assuming that the narrators here are reliable, Andy. So let's, that's your first mistake. Like when Jock Peterson's sitting there like it's, it's the people's court and he's reading the text messages on his phone in that tone. He did not like that and responded, Jock, I don't know you well enough to make any jokes like this. Yeah, so then I wrote back, I'm just trying to pull it up. So it's exact, it was meant to be all fun and games. No hard feelings, sorry if you took it that way. Are you a moron to believe that he read every single text on there? Like, you have to be stupid to think that, like, he actually read it verbatim. Like, I'm not calling him a liar, but I think in most people on the people's court are going to make themselves look good, right? He's not going to read the parts where he, like, looks like a bad guy. He's not going to read the parts where, you know, he looks like he's the one cheating. But, like, you know, having played fantasy sports, believe me, if you were to go through the text and show the receipts for these transactions, nobody looks good. 
No, nobody does. Like it, it's a petty, stupid argument, and I think it's hysterical because of who it invo- who's involved in it. It's hilarious to me. Would you say that it, it, it's a fair assumption that some of these rules are unwritten? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. According to Jock, and again, I know you know Marcus cast aspersions on his uh, reliability as a narrator. However, if any of the other members of uh, this fantasy football league, uh, you know, would like to come on the show and talk about it. You're more than welcome to. From the more I hear about it and who's involved and how across the league it goes, is it fair to say that it's more like a fantasy football syndicate? Does this have tendrils? <laughs> Rico. Can we do a Rico? A Rico, yeah. I don't even know what Rico is. Yeah, yeah. let's do a Rico on this. So what it struck me is when when you guys played Madden, right? Like when you play Friends in Madden, did you guys have a rule about punting? Like we had a thing, like at least in college, it was fairly codified that you had to punt on fourth down, you know, within within a reasonable uh, set. Like you agreed upon it before the game. Like if it's fourth and five on your 35, you are punting. Now you can play it, you know, either way, like, you know, you can play no, do whatever you want. But we had a sort of like a gentleman's agreement, you know, that, that you had to punt when the situation demanded it now there's a reason none of us were competitive you know madden players it just was less exasperating to play that way but i don't know if this fits into that realm as, as well as what's you know i don't is there any honor among thieves anymore dude that's such a great point dude like i think a lot of these endeavors include some kind of rule like that like when you said that andy I'll, here's the one this is i want to date myself right you go to the 7-eleven and street fighter 2 is there and you put your quarters down because you want to go next there was a way when you played Street Fighter 2 that you could corner an opponent and just beat him that way. And it was cheap. Like, it wasn't any fun for anybody. It was total nonsense. And so the, there was no written rule that said you couldn't do that. But you didn't. Because you everyone recognized it wasn't much fun. Right? Like, you're just ripping somebody off to do that. It's no fair. Um, and so, yeah, I think fantasy sports... Um, there's always stuff like that, always. Whether and, and yeah, sometimes it does get actually like written down, right? You have your own league rules, but you know, I think that's sort of the exasperation in playing those types of games is that there's always somebody, like Farhan, right, trying to like you know game the system somehow. Like, dude, there's a baseball executive now who will hear this. Like, we're I was in a league with that person that was beyond fantasy. Like, this is the dorkiest thing I've ever been involved in. Not only was it fantasy baseball but like the players were fake like it was like a sim league yeah that's fantasy baseball right there it's sicko stuff dude we had rule five draft and all of that stuff i mean it's sick there was free agency all right i totally totally did some like dirty manipulate the market kind of stuff with another owner totally did that i decided with another owner i didn't there was a the, the best free agent in the market i know this sounds awful all right. But there's a best free, like the best free agent on the market. We're bidding this guy up. And I was like, you know what? I'll back off, but you got to trade me some picks. And the dude went for it. Collusion. <laughs> Total collusion. Total collusion. There are people who actually are in front offices that were in that league that will hear this and be pissed off about it, even though it was like five years ago. Anyway, if you don't have those rules in some of these things, it just makes the game not fun. And that, it feels like that's what this conflict was about it seemed like other people seemed to honor this and you had two people that didn't i guess i don't know if the conflict is just about the rules it might have something to do with the personalities involved as well i mean you know, <laughs> uh, you, you know i mean 
Tommy Pham is a guy who, I guess, in the scouting uh, world has some edge to him. Uh, you know, and so uh, there, there's maybe a sense that he might have kind of overreacted. Um, but who knows? I mean, maybe more stuff will come out about what was said other than just uh, the gif of the Padres weightlifter collapsing, <laughs> which, like, I I would like further, you know, and I get, like, at some point, right, like, Jock doesn't want to talk about this anymore because it's so embarrassing. But, like, who made that gif? Like, where was that homemade? Was that found on the internet? You know, like, does do the way the players have, uh, you know, like shirts made for them at all times, the, the baseball <laughs> t shirt industrial <laughs> complex? Like, do they have a GIF industrial complex that they can talk shit to one another with, like, you know, guys coding, like back in the in the nerd cave in the in the in the uh, clubhouse, you know, like building them gifts so they can send to talk shit to one another? I don't know. I mean, there's just so many different layers of this we can explore. So you've covered Jock. When he's addressed this, like I can't stop watching the videos because I think it's hysterical. This like very like monotone. He looks like he's about to break into a smile because like there's a like a self realization aspect where he knows that this is complete and total nonsense that he's talking about. This is that his normal way of doing things, or is he putting that on for the bit? Like what is this? You know, you can't sort of get inside his mind. I suspect he finds this very funny. Not getting hit, like not, that. That part is like you know. Again, like That's just just to be clear, yeah. like getting hit is not cool. Like um, you know, whatever. Like we don't need to spend too much time talking about how we're we're anti violence and pro labor on this pod. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but like I mean, when he when he was doing that post game interview, the initial one, and uh, and John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle asked him, uh, "Where did he hit you?" I mean, he just burst out laughing. Where did he slap you? I mean, like in the yep, yeah, <laughs> the cheek. Like he's doing this whole thing about you know Jeff Wilson or John Wilson or whatever the guy's name was like on IR and then you know it's like a solemn question of like and uh, and and where did uh, the defendant strike you? And he's like, oh, oh, the cheek. <laughs> you know, like Jock is a reserved sort of person. He uh, I think for a long time around the Dodgers, especially with the media, he played dumber than he actually is. He's a pretty sharp guy and i think he's, he's gotten a little bit older he's allowed a little bit more of his personality to come through i mean he's wearing the pearls last year you know he's a little bit looser with his uh quotes and stuff but he's like a guy who you know with the dodgers uh was like a beloved teammate you know for his ability to connect with people um i guess he taught them all how to win at fantasy uh through nefarious means um he was really well liked in atlanta you know he seems like he's fit in really well in san francisco and so definitely is considered you know by a lot of other folks to be a a, a genuine clubhouse ad in in, uh, in addition to his ability to just you know damage right-handed pitching so I, I i suspect he finds it very funny however like at some point it's kind of embarrassing to have to talk about it every day. And especially, like, when the team was not playing particularly well. Like, it's kind of awkward. Like, you lo- you know, you lose, like, a close game. And then it's like, uh, so can you tell us about uh, what you texted to Tommy Pham about the IR? Uh, please, we need a little bit more about that. I don't know. I don't know. Who can say? One of my favorite parts about the video, and I'm not sure how deep in the weeds this get, gets, but he was dressed like Kiki Hernandez's uh, engagement photos. Do you remember that photo spread that Kiki Hernandez did with uh, his his fiance, 
where they dressed up in overalls. With the overalls, like, yeah. Yeah, and like had goofy playground photos. Jock's outfit seemed like it was a nod to that, which added like this level on top of the level. Like it was surreal and goofy. And I want to think that that's intentional, but I don't know him well enough to, to guess at that. I just think ballplayer fits are, are getting to a point where guys in our age bracket uh, can't really comprehend it. When I started covering baseball, you know, like 12, 13 years ago, guys were still wearing like bedazzled jeans and affliction t-shirts. Um, and now... Oh, man. You know, that was a bad face. And now it seems like most guys like show up to the clubhouse wearing like either athleisure or if like they're trying to dress up, they'll wear like a romper or something. So, you know, it's a it's a different time. Guys are dressing, you know, the way that makes them, you know, feel good, play good or look good, play good or whatever. Whatever. Some guys can pull it off. Francisco Lindor had like a fit yesterday. It was like a yellow sort of like Hawaiian-ish shirt with like matching shorts. And like he looked, you know, pretty stylish. And if Karig wore that, um, I think I would make it my Twitter avatar. I wish like I was good at Photoshop because when, when Jock did this with the phone, like I want to put Andy's <laughs> football teammates dancing on that. Like that would have been absolutely perfect. But like, you know, I got a screaming baby at home and yeah. my Photoshop skills are rusty. You got to so. go to the clubhouse and get one of the guys in the ballplayer GIF industrial complex to build it for you. That's what you got <laughs> to do. That's true. That's what you got to do. Like, isn't this a very 2022 ballplayer fight? Like litigated on like, it's all about an animated GIF. It is like, he, it's like he's reading the receipts off the phone. <laughs> when I think about the most memorable ballplayer fight that I've seen in the last... Or the most uh, epochal ballplayer fighters there. Emblematic, that's the word. The most emblematic ballplayer fight of ballplayer mindset. It's um, Billy Butler and Danny Valencia from about uh, six or seven years ago uh, when they got into a fight over um, Butler loud talking about Valencia's shoe reps um, and saying acute, basically like kind of uh, snitching, allegedly snitching that uh, Valencia wasn't wearing the shoes that he was being sponsored to wear. That felt like the most explanatory about <laughs> what baseball culture is. This feels like more, as as Mark said, though, like ballplayers, they're just like us. And increasingly, they live more online. And so, like, this isn't, you know, like, uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a disagreement that stems over sort of, uh, you know, like, uh, money, for one, uh, but, which, uh, you know, kind of puts it outside the realm of uh, normal sort of discourse, but but it, it it stems over kind of a miscommunication over text, right? And neither guy like picked up the phone to call and be like, "Hey, man, like you know, but like that didn't happen." There was no like in person discussion. It was just like a sort of guys talk past each other, possibly longer than a year ago, a very long time ago, and then the next time they saw each other, there was like a physical altercation. It felt like a sort of uh, uh, an escalation that probably could have been diffused somewhere along the line. It was the first time they'd ever interacted face to face <laughs> like that. And, and you know, to kind of go on that point, ballplayers are just like us. I think given what's happened in the world, right, the last couple of years, it is not unusual to be in something like a fantasy league with folks that you've never actually met. Right. Like I'm in one right now with like the Lemire brothers. I know them. All right. But like they've got a bunch of buddies from back home that I wouldn't pick them out of a lineup. And yet we've done deals together. You know, maybe one of them wants to slap the shit out of me. I don't know. Okay. Like it's very possible, but like, you know, it, it's the same kind of thing. We Peterson's in this league with fam. They're obviously in this fraternity together as ball players, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they know each other at all. And it sounds like that's what that was the case here. They just they didn't even, Peterson said straight up. That's the first time Tommy fam had ever said anything to me in person. 
if I were to ask, if I were to book a guest specifically so I could ask them this question, it would be you, Mark. And so I'm glad you're on already because my question is this. Does Tommy Pham have the ass? (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Obviously. On a scale of the ass, is he up near the top? It's red. He's got the red ass. 100%. What was the question that prompted him to say he's a a big dog in Las Vegas? Actually, I don't think there was a question that prompted him. I feel like he just wanted to point that out. Yeah, because. What a fresh act. Like. I can't. It was yeah. He like went on this tangent and talked about that. You're effing with my money. I think that was part of the quote. And then, then that led to I'm a high roller in Vegas. Like I was surprised at how much of an open book he is. Because like you know, one of the things that is pretty damn sensitive about this is that like this is gambling. Okay, it's gambling, and you know the buy-in. If you think about it, might be pretty high. At least that's what Tommy's saying. And Jock said it too. There's a lot of money involved, I think was his quote. So there, you know, that's, that's, I was surprised at that, really, like that he would go there. So let's do something irresponsible and let's guess at what the buy-in for a fantasy football league would be if, you, if it's a league of millionaires and established baseball players. What makes it worthwhile to you to where if you lose or someone starts Jimmy Jacking with your money, you, you wince or you maybe open palm slap someone? Uh, like what is the buy-in that we're talking about, do you think? Six figures? Uh, that might be high. That feels high. On teams that I used to cover uh, in the past, the buy-in was uh, in the mid four figures. You know, like around like around five k. Uh, our understanding of this is that it's uh, significantly more, but what exactly? Not not sure. Right, and also like it, that doesn't necessarily mean that's one person throwing that in. A lot of times, I would suspect a be, lot of guys are pieced out. Yeah, or, right. Or, yeah. You know, or, or the bullpen's in it. Right, like he, like somebody runs it, but you have other people who are sort of quote unquote backers in it and like have some input. You know, the ones who are trying to have fun with it. I think that's where you get little problems too, because it's like ball players are just like us, dude. We've all been in leagues where somebody's taking it way too seriously. Yeah, this, but this doesn't feel like this doesn't feel like a just for fun league. This feels like a, a league no, of yeah, guys right. who are really into fantasy football. So. Like with a with a team, you'd often find like as Mark said, yeah, okay, the bullpen has a team, or like with the the Dodgers, like Clayton Kershaw and Ross Stripling, uh, were occasionally a team, and then sometimes they would have uh, you know former video co- coordinator, uh, the legend John Pratt, as like the actual GM. So like they would have you know they would incorporate guys who were around the uh, the club, and it was like a bonding thing for you know a not insignificant sum of money, but money that like. When you're making millions of dollars, you can afford pretty easily. You know what I wonder though? Like, so it is gambling, right? And like, there are times over the years when like I've sort of written about fantasy football in the clubhouse or whatever. You know, I did that story on Farhan's thing several years ago, which you know got a lot of attention. And sometimes you'll be like, "Is anyone going to talk about like how this is acceptable?" But Pete Rose isn't allowed in the Hall of Fame, and I sort of feel like with the way. Baseball was basically just sort of like open the door and said, like, you know, gambling, it's all right. Like, you can, you should do it. Actually, you should do it. Like, right now. <laughs> you should do it on this game right now. 
there's no real like recourse. You can't like punish these guys for this at this point. Like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you can. I don't know. We'd have to get you know CBA expert Evan Drellick to tell us you know what the the actual particulars are. But from like a, a, a logical standpoint, like how can a how can a sport that has decided to jump with both feet into gambling on the actual sport have any sort of problem with guys gambling on another sport? Well, I got to say, hypocrisy and baseball—they they never go together. That. How dare they? <laughs> How dare they? I, you raise a I great will point. never happens. I will say never that happens. that when it comes to so the idea of hey gambling and baseball is bad comes down to a couple different things where it's you you don't want to make decisions that affect your teammates because you have a stake you don't want to get so far into debt that you were beholden to someone else and I feel like the one time kind of thrown into a pot makes you less likely to be beholden to fellows who might break your kneecaps. And then like that might be a distinction. I don't think you can codify that or put it in the rules. But as far as the sniff test goes, it feels different than, oh, I'm down bad because I, I bet on the heat and, and now I got to make it up. How can I make it up to you? How can I make it? Oh, just do that. Oh, okay. I guess I can do that. That's one at bat. I can do that. So I think that would be a distinction, but I don't know how willing anyone is to make that distinction. The sport sort of has just decided gambling's okay. Well, it's all over. It's all over the video boards. It's all over. Like you see the center field camera, the thing in the back is bet MGM or whatever. Yeah, it's everywhere at this point. I'd love and, to get like, the Apple broadcast probabilities on like you know the next time Tommy Pham interacts with Jock. Like what will happen? Like is it a thirty-five percent <laughs> chance? You know, he'll crack him upside the head again. The video of the actual thing, like Jock. <laughs> So clear, he's like, "What? He wants no part of this." Like he yeah. just is like, "This is I just got hit." Like I'm not, I'm not sticking around for this. This is crazy. Yeah, uh, my mom uh, texted me, "Quote: I didn't think guys slapped guys. Seemed weird." I just had to read that text out loud because a, it confirms my mom just didn't watch the Oscars right. or anything like that. <laughs> like <laughs> that was when that conversation needed to happen. Mom, where were you last month? Yeah, <laughs> but it's. I don't so, know. Off planet? Like what? <laughs> what happened? It was a, just a fantastic text to get. Look at my phone, and well, you know, I I think that that was an added level of disrespect in proportion to the disrespect that Fam felt. I don't know. I'm endlessly fascinated by it. It also gives us a, an opening just to talk about fantasy sports. I mean, how are things going with you and your guys' world? You know, we love to talk about this. I don't play fantasy sports. <laughs> he doesn't dirty himself with. I that. just don't. I'm not. I can barely make it through writing stories about baseball. Like I am scraping by. I can't do the fantasy too. My team's doing all right, by the way, for the record. We're second place. My team's behind all right. one of the Lemire brothers. I will say that uh when I was in a league a couple years ago, I picked up Mark Melanson on waivers. He got 13 saves that allowed me to win the league with the money. I bought a record player, a very nice record player over there. And it, every time I play a record, I think about Mark Melanson's 13 saves. So uh, shout out to Mark Melanson. I guess I'm, I'm the Jock Peterson in this. I was the jerk. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip 
from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. So let me ask you guys, you know, you've played fantasy sports in the past. What is the highest buy-in that you've ever played? Uh, for me, 500. 500 bucks. Andy? 200? I feel like I was in a maybe 250. I was in a league last year uh, with some friends from high school because so I, I tend to get kicked out of fantasy league because I just stopped setting my <laughs> roster after like, yeah, yeah. you know, week four. Um, that guy. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, so what I did is uh, one of my friends who he will set like over unders I guess for how many how everyone will do in the league and he'll take bets on that you know like and so and so I just tanked and I, I shorted my own team uh, and just won back the money that way um, <laughs> I just stopped trying and I was like I'm gonna just win I'm just gonna clever. win by you know just betting the under. Uh, on my own performance so next level um, next level yeah I think I, it was like 200 I don't know I am not a sports gambler in, in I use sports gambling as a way to stay out of trouble in Las Vegas. What I'll do is I'll go if I'm in Vegas or in a casino or something, I will bet $50 on random game I would not otherwise care about. And that for like 2 hours that's all I care about. I'm not dumping money into a slot or on a roulette table. And that's my way, that's like my uh, restrictor plate, you know what I mean? And so I'm not in this world of day-to-day gambling and, and high-stakes gambling. That's what makes a lot of this so amusing to me. Any of you big gamblers? Any uh, <laughs> stories you want to talk about? I get Andy smile. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, what's the phrase? What's the correct phrase? I believe the technical term uh, is I'm in the poker hospital. Um, I think that's what they call it. No, I just, I, I cut, I used to play a lot of poker. Um, you know, it's when I, especially when I lived in Los Angeles, you know, cause there was like three casinos within like a 25 minute drive or whatever from, from where I live downtown. But now I live in New York and like, there's none in the city. And so, uh, it's harder to get to them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, I've cut back, I would say on my poker habits. Cause I just like, um, I'm not a winning player and I sort of got tired of like going to the ATM. Like there's something really demeaning about that. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it's, I mean, I remember when I first learned about, uh, like your history with poker, when I saw the documentary on it, uh, your early years called rounders <laughs> when you're going to, to sneaky clubs around, yeah. around the areas and getting your kneecaps broke. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was driving a, a cement truck for most of 2012. I think that's wild. Like, no, I'm just thinking like I go in such phases with this, like I, I'll go like a year and not have action on anything. And then like, It'll get so bad that like every text chain I'm on is making fun of me for it. That like I'm betting on ants racing on the windowsill. <laughs> like I'm, you know, like it's just uh, which, which show, which shoes Rosie going to put on first, left or right? <laughs> like I mean, so it's weird. Like I'll go again, no problem, no problem, no problem, and then like two weeks where it's just like pretty much everything. Like I mean, tennis in Europe sold. All right, you know, which African <laughs> nations are playing soccer today? Okay, I got the under. Let's go. You know, like it's it's crazy. I find myself gambling a lot with friends, like in baseball context. Like uh, I, I tweeted about this uh, during the uh, during the lockout, during the postseason. I would uh, most press conferences with Brian Snitker 
I would set a line um, at the start of each press conference of how many times he would be addressed as either Brian or Snit, his nickname. <laughs> and so, like, it would be like, all right, uh, the line is four and a half Snits. Who's got the over, you know? And uh, go from there. And just, like, you know, I'd gamble with, you know, like Alden Gonzalez from ESPN or whatever. And it made every press conference, like, riveting. Because you're just, like, locked <laughs> in on all of them, like... It's like, oh, we got another Brian. You're like, oh, a sneaky Brian came in there. I thought he, that guy was going to call him Snit. Like, I thought that guy, you know. So I have some other, like, I have a bet with uh, our uh, former colleague, uh, Pedro Mora, over uh, who will be worth more war in 2023, uh, Paul Goldschmidt or Ozzy Albies. I made this bet very late at night in a bar in Milwaukee in 2018, and I took uh, Paul Goldschmidt. And remarkably, I'm, I think I'm the favorite to win this bet. I've been made, being made fun of about it for about four years, and now Paul Goldschmidt's like a seven-win player still, and Albies is still kind of like a two- or three-win player. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. I, I got that going for me, which is nice. What are the stakes in that? Is it bragging 100, rights? 100 bucks. Okay, that's, a, that's not bad. That's not bad. That is looking fairly good for you. I just think with baseball, the thing that fascinates me with baseball betting, and I've never really done it, but now with technology getting to the point where you can just instantly put a bet on anything, it seems like baseball has set itself up to be this sport where you can bet on, is this next pitch going to be a strike? Yes. Is this next pitch going to be a ball? And that's like the future of gambling where you can just sit there and have a pot of money up here and have these prop bets come up and come up and come up and just throughout the game just bet thousands of dollars with uh, baseball's explicit approval. And I think that that seems like a pretty bad scene. That's awful. Yeah, It just sucks. It's like tennis is that way. That's why people bet on tennis. Yeah, you can bet point by point, which is crazy. Oh, man. Like, even I'm not as much of a degenerate to do that. I'm going, that's crazy. But, like, <laughs> yeah. you can. You can go point by point, And it's nuts. Uh, on, like, the lowest levels of professional tennis that you could possibly imagine. Like, they might be playing a professional event at the parking lot behind, like, a Kroger's or something. <laughs> and, like, you could bet on it. You could bet point by point oh. on that. Swear to God. In fact, there was one where... Speaking of betting with friends, like it, it's fun when like others are kind of doing it too, right? Like you're with your friend groups do it. Like it, it just becomes this fun thing. Well, there was one point where they realized, oh my God, these are the tennis courts near the spring training complex at Port St. Lucie. <laughs> All right. Like that's how low level this was. It was like Tuesday afternoon. Oh no. People playing like there's like an umpire and like a camera set on top of the fence. And that that's like literally what was going on. And you can bet on that. So yeah, it's. It is wild that you can go point by point even at that level. Crazy, if you ask me. <laughs> that's that's, that's the scariest thing I've ever heard of. Right. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> All right, let's segue real quick to Ken Rosenthal today. Wrote an article titled, Firing Joe Girardi Wouldn't Fix Philly's Problems. And in the group chat earlier this week, Mark had indicated that the Phillies were amusing to him. And so I wanted to open the floor and, uh, to Phillies chatter. What, what amuses you, Mark, about these Phillies? I feel bad for the fans of the Phillies, okay? Like, I, I am not making fun of them. God knows they have seen enough of this nonsense, so I do feel bad for them. I, I'm not amused at their suffering at this team. However, I am amused by the fact that what are we talking about again with this team? They went and signed a bunch of DHs, and now they can't catch the ball, okay? Like, and then, shocker, this will blow your mind, but the bullpen stinks again. That's what's amusing. It's like watching a dog run into a sliding door in the morning, you know, and then wake up and do it again the next day, right? Like, you're just like, how 
did this happen? I guess, you know, when you look at, you know, most teams like run into guys who throw hard and they shove them in the bullpen and like they get something out of them. Like the Phillies can't do that, right? Like they, they have been so bad at developing arms of any kind that they run into this same problem. But then also this year, everyone was like looking at that team going, oh, who's going to catch the ball? And, you know, every night there is some highlight of them throwing the ball all over the place and not making a single out. Or, or you know, a ball ends up in the outfield after it's being thrown from behind home plate. Like it's, it is insane how predictable some of it is. So I guess in one way, that's what's amusing. And then, as you would expect, as most baseball teams that are scuffling do, they look miserable. Like you watch them play and it's like nobody's having any fun. And, and you wouldn't expect that they would, but it's just so visible with this club. You know, there was a story written about it actually over the weekend where some players on the team even acknowledged that fact that, yeah, yeah, it's not fun. And, and the energy level, like, you know, people are noticing it. So, you know, firing Joe Girardi isn't going to fix that. That is true. But also when you, I don't blame the fans for being, you know, upset at, at like a, a scale of one to 10, like 12 at this point, because boy, they just look checked out. Not only are they bad, but they look like they're having a miserable time and it's early. Like they constructed the team as if when the National League implemented the DH, they eliminated left field. The roster construction is like real science experimenty and like how few gloves can we put out there? You know, like I wonder like how much of this really is on the manager, you know, like because you were around like Joe or excuse me, Mark, you covered Joe Girardi. He is a, a famously serious man. Like he is, a, you know, some would even say uh, he holds the reins a little too tight. Yeah, that's something he's been accused of in the past, but he's generally intense, detail oriented, you know, and is thought of as a pretty good manager. But it seems like in situations like this, where the team is basically sort of suffering more than anything else from incompetence, I don't know how well that sort of style plays, but then what managerial style does play well when you give the team four outs, you know, uh, the other team four outs, like five innings a night. I don't, I don't know. It's a flawed construction. It is a team that openly disregarded a whole part of the game, it seemed like. You get what's coming to you when you do that. I agree with that. At the same time, I, my day job is to cover the Giants. And this year, there's been a lot of chatter with how can you possibly have your corner outfielders being uh, at times Darren Ruff and Jock Peterson and in left field, Darren Ruff might make us a horrible play or Jock Peterson might not get to a ball. And then it comes up again. At the same time, this is the Giants and the Giants history has been 43 year old Barry Bonds, Pat Burrell, Michael Morse, Travis Ishikawa was put out there and, and like it's worked. It's worked for them. Sometimes you can just hide someone in left field and it works all the way through the World Series. And I wonder if that was the Phillies plan and if there's a missing component, like you need a center fielder worth his salts out there or if you if there's something that just missed. But I think just punting on corner outfield defense isn't the worst idea in the world, especially when you got a DH in your back pocket. I will say that Bryce Harper getting injured and being unable to play the field is a more significant thing than it sounds on paper because Harper's not a particularly good outfielder. But he's I, – I mean, I'd have to look at the metrics, but I, I, my, I believe he is considered better than Nick Cassianos and Kyle Schwarber, both of whom were kind of seen as like, oh, that's a, that's a great DH. Like, great. Like, you know, that guy's going to club the baseball around. Uh, so when now you're playing those two guys more or less every day – 
in the field with the, you know, whatever, the, the mushiness of the baseball, general sort of uh, offensive regression, you know, the uh, Castellanos, Schwarber, Hoskins, and Real Muto are not really hitting. So it's like when that's not happening, like who are the good players? You know, like, you know what I mean? Like what, who are the guys on this team who you would sort of, like I keep seeing stuff that's like with all the talent on this club, like they shouldn't be, you know, playing like this. And it's more like, well, I, I mean, what? Like, <laughs> that's not true. Like, they, their their best player is Bryce Harper, but he can't play the field. So his value is reduced. And then, you know, they have two theoretically pretty good hitters in Schwarber and Castellanos. Their value is reduced because they're playing the field every day. So you're like, they've diluted everything. And combine that with just, you know, they played a tough schedule and all that. Like, it's a, it's a close to a disaster. To Grant's point, we've seen teams make this bargain before and have success with it. But you got to hit. And especially now when if you're going to be that bad defensively, the bar that you got to clear offensively to make up for that is so much higher. And I'm looking at the Phillies OPS plus. They're all like 100, 100, 110, 96, 95, 106. That ain't enough. Like if you're going to not play defense, you better rake. You got to be Harper at 166 OPS plus. That's what you got to be at if you're not going to catch the ball. That is exactly what I wrote in my capsule for the power rankings, which I'm sure you guys poured over, took notes on. That's exactly it. Everyone's like at 100, 105. Like, they're not bad. There's just not. There's very few players who are just, you know, hitting their way out of the league. When Miguel Cabrera, you know, moved from first base to third, moved back to third for Prince Fielder, he kept hitting. So the fact that he wasn't, you know, a, he wasn't Brooks Robinson, it didn't matter because he had an OPS plus of 175 or whatever, you know. And it, the difference is when you're Kyle Schwarber and you have an OPS plus of 100 and, you know, you're a significant problem in the field. I mean, I think, too, like it's not just the errors, right? Like it's the extra bases. It's the close plays that don't get made. I mean, they just like when you watch a good – defensive team like when you watched the uh, I'm going to talk about the 2014-2015 Royals for a minute which uh, you know I know uh, it's that time of the show when I start to talk about that but like when you watch those guys play baseball unless the ball was hit over the fence there was a pretty good chance it was gonna be an out and that made life so much easier for their pitchers in terms of, you know, whether or not they could make mistakes. They very rarely extended innings. They did not give up extra bases. They, you know, could make aggressive plays to like, it just, the whole thing was that I remember AJ Hinch talked about this idea was that they put pressure on you as a defense. So you guys at the plate felt pressure. You felt pressure to, you know, get the ball. Uh, you basically get to hit it where people aren't, which makes hitting tougher. You felt pressure to score in the first six innings because their bullpen was going to come in and wipe you out near the end. And it created over a three-game series when you're playing them sort of an exhaustion from that, which is kind of a hard thing to quantify, but you saw it in the results they had. The Phillies had the exact opposite. They give you openings at all times. They give you extra outs. They give you an extra 90 feet. They don't make close plays. And their bullpen's not very good. The whole game, you're free and easy, baby. You're not feeling any pressure. You know at some point, hey, we didn't get him in the sixth. Well, the good news is there's a seventh inning, and we get to do this all over again. And so they're an easy team to play against, at least from an offensive perspective. And this gets back to what's a manager going to do about that? Because like that's what's brutal about it is that you know the manager is going to be hearing from the pitchers. 
I'm not saying that's what's happened here, but like, you know, seeing as that the Phillies are still comprised of human beings that play baseball, when I've seen this in the past, those pitchers are freaking furious. And they're going to go to the pitching coach. They're going to go to the manager. And what answer is Joe Girardi going to say? He didn't put the team together. He he can only run out the guys he's got on the roster. So there is going to be inherent frustration in that uh, that style of play. Like, you, you know, on paper, you make that bargain. It can work. But when you start talking about human beings and you got people on the mound that are now paying the price for the fact that, like, nobody's got range or people throw the wrong base or people can't throw at all, combined with the results... Maybe that's why they all look miserable, okay? Because like it's the way they're doing it too. It's a taxing way to play baseball, especially if you're a pitcher, obviously. And the effects are cumulative. Like it starts in, if you're talking about a, a third out that isn't made in April, those are 20 pitches that are on the arm or shoulder in May. And then the, the third out that's not made in May is getting this reliever an extra day of work where maybe he'd be better served with the day off. And it doesn't get better as the year goes on and everyone starts getting tired and more dinged up. And that feels extra exhausting too. Just like it's uh, misery piled upon misery. And if you look at the top of their rotation, right, Wheeler, Eflin, Gibson, and Nola all have FIPs that are lower than their ERAs, which is not uncommon. That's a thing that happens. But it's also not a coincidence, right? They're pitching better than their results are. Sometimes that corrects over the course of the year, and sometimes it just doesn't. And when you have a defense like this, it might not correct. I mean, Nola's been dealing with this for, for years. I mean, he had that season, one season when he was like considered a 10-win pitcher because the defense was so bad behind him. Uh, like, so, you know, he almost won the Cy Young because of it. But, like, it's just – that has a debilitating effect on their psyche, on their performance, on everything. And so does the bullpen blowing leads. Like, if you ask – sort of managers like if you could have a bad starting rotation a bad you have to pick one of the three bad rotation bad offense bad bullpen which would you pick they all just go uh i don't know not a bad bullpen because having a bad bullpen like takes takes a lot of life out of you like when you when you lose games you think you're gonna win that has a effect that really can carry over into the next day and so you're seeing like all these things converging and again as mark said like what how much can a manager actually do, right? I don't know. It's it like Buck Showalter might be like the runaway manager of the year for the job that he's doing in New York, and he seems to be doing a pretty good job. But if you ask, like, what is he doing? It's like basically like, well, he's a um, what? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's just great. You know, it's just great. Like everything's great. He, you know, he communicates. You know, that's like Bob Melvin's thing. He communicates, right? Like, and all these things are very important but like it also helps when the team plays well (laughs) and so i I don't know or if the pieces fit if you look at the roster and you know you have you know outfielders to play the outfield right right? like (laughs) like that's or you got relievers that can throw strikes sometimes like it's i mean gosh i don't have to tell you right kansas city the royals that era that you're talking about earlier that's exactly what they did like seven eight nine forget it right once you get a seventh eighth ninth inning of the game forget it even though their starting pitching wasn't great you know, they caught the ball and they were going to suffocate you when it counted. And you had dudes that put the ball in play, put pressure on the other team. Like, I mean, it's, you know, these things do matter, right? Like the way that the game's played sometimes does matter. Cumulative is the word that Grant used. It's exactly right. And that's why, you know, the Phillies look miserable, miserable because probably are miserable given the way that um, they've constructed and the way it's played out, which not a shock given how it was built. And the thing with the Mets is like for the first time in a, in a good long while, like their roster is coherent, 
they went this offseason, yes, they basically shopped at the tar- top of the market in a variety of ways, but they like didn't you know, build a team around starting pitching the way they had in years past and have bad fielders. Like they actually went out and spent, paid a premium for like Starling Marte's fielding. You know, they paid for Eduardo Escobar, who's an upgrade defensively. You know, Mark Canna is an upgrade defensively. And now they're just like, it makes more sense what they're trying to do. Uh, whereas, you know, again, like it's, it's very predictable what's happened with the Phillies. Um, it's just, uh, man, it is, it's riveting to watch. I mean, just like you never know what's going to happen. Anytime the ball leaves the pitcher's hand, you never know. And the price they're paying for this privilege. <laughs> what's it, $240 million? Uh, I think it's like 230 yeah. 230 $230 million. And they can't catch the ball or throw to the right base. Like that's, that's like amazing. Tommy Pham says someone's messing with his money. How does John Middleton feel? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all right. Sorry, that's, sorry. That, that's a good. That's a good place to end it. Violence is never the answer, boys. The owner can afford it. The billionaires need to help. There should be no billionaires. That is on brand. That is on brand, Andy. All right. Uh, that has been episode nine of the roundtable. It's the only roundtable that makes you think. What would happen if the current Phillies traveled back in time to play the 2015 Royals? Would there be a cosmic event? Would the universe fold in on itself, leaving only Billy Butler? I don't know. We'll talk about it next time on The Roundtable. Thanks for listening. 